Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft, coming out in May 2010. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show is about some fun stuff today. We are going to be talking with the advice goddess. Now, we have had Amy Alkin on our show before, and she talked about when she was a victim of identity theft. And now she has written a brand new book, which I have right here in front of me, just sitting here and with it, with her long, gorgeous, flowing red hair. It is called I See Rude People, One Woman's Battle to Beat Some Manners into Impolite Society by Amy Elkin. And we're going to be talking with her again. And uh, she's appearing now on our show. And let me tell you a little bit about her if you haven't heard her before. Amy Elkin writes the award-winning nationally syndicated advice column, The Advice Goddess. And she's appeared on Good Morning America, The Today Show, NPR, CNN, MTV, Politically Incorrect, and Nightline. She blogs daily at advicegoddess.com. And she can be found on Twitter at Amy Elkin. And she lives in Los Angeles. And for years I'd been reading her column. And then one day I got a call from her. And she is just so much fun and so delightful. And her column I always laughed at. And I got a big kick out of her new book, called I See Rude People. So we're going to talk to you, Amy. How are you? Well, very well. Since we talked last on the radio, which is right after I had my identity stolen, which is a horrible thing, and you were very helpful with that. But now I have this book out and getting some great response from it, you know, and then some rude people responding to it, too. Not so well. <laughs> and, you know, people say, well, people might ask, well, why is she having this on her privacy show? Well, there's a lot of issues about dealing with your own private feelings, with feelings of being rude, with feelings of dealing with rude people. There are some real privacy issues as well. So why don't you tell us, why did you write this book anyway, Amy? Well, I wrote this, I started to see a change in society. Just more and more, we were sort of descending into mean land. And it's not just, as you're saying, people being rude, but I find business rudeness is a real issue in our society now. Now, I'm not some granola chomper, you know, who just thinks that there should be a pot of money from the government on every corner, but there are things that businesses are doing to breach your privacy, to allow identity theft, where they're just careless and lax, and I think this is terribly, terribly rude. It is rude, and it's so insensitive and un. 
people are so unconcerned about other people. I think that goes to the whole issue of people being rude because they just don't care. They're rude because they don't care because they can be. And they just see, oh, wow, I can do whatever I want. You don't know me. So I'm just going to do whatever I want to you, and you're not going to have any redress. Or in the case of these big businesses, you know, you're a little guy. You're not going to know how to report me or to get some kind of legal action against me. So I'm just going to sort of gamble that I can screw you over. And this is what is happening more and more. Yes. And so when you wrote this book, again, I see rude people, one woman's battle to beat some manners into impolite society. What exactly is your goal for for what people do? Are you really thinking that you're going to be able to beat manners into our impolite society? (laughs) What what do you want people to get out of it? Not everyone can do that. You know, I'm what's called a costly punisher, which means that I'm one of those people, I have a very strong sense of justice and injustice, and when I feel injustice is being done, I will punish the doer at cost to myself and no benefit. So if you're on your cell phone in Starbucks and you're shouting and everyone's bothered, I'm not going to win a million dollars in the lottery if I ask you, would you mind keeping it down? In fact, if you're armed, I might get blown away. <laughs> right. But I can't let us all be victimized like this anymore. I just started to get to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. And that's why I wrote this book. And I actually... You know, I'm not just a girl who speculated on why people are rude. I actually figured out why people are rude. So that allows me to help change things and help us all change things. Well, well, let's go into that. So why are people rude? It turns out, no, it's not based on technology or anything. It turns out we live in societies that are too big for our brains. And I figured this out based on the work of a British anthropologist named Robin Dunbar, who figured out that the human brain... You know, the average size society that we are able to deal with with our brain size is about 150 people. And beyond that, um, we don't have meaningful interactions with people. You know, where they, we know them, they know us, we know that they owe us, we owe them. You know, when that happens, when you're around strangers, that's when anything goes. So it's not that people are necessarily nicer in a small society, but they're going to be caught, they're going to be seeing those people forever, and so they have to behave well. And what I say is we have to bring back the constraints. You know, society's better, better sized for our brains. You know, I remember many years ago, I had moved from the Chicago area to Wisconsin and then to New York. And I remember people thinking, thinking how people were so rude in New York. I couldn't believe it. And then I moved from New York to Virginia, <laughs> to Charlottesville, Virginia. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I must have died and gone to heaven because everybody was so nice, but it was a smaller community, like what you're talking about. People knew that they were going to see me again. I was going to see them again. And it just was people understood that you're going to have to deal with these people again. And if you're not nice, they're not going to come back and work with you. Right. Whereas if a big company, they figure, well, if they lose you, it doesn't matter. They're going to have millions more. And so what? They don't even want to bother with you. Right. It's like if if you're in a small town, you rob the bank. Everyone in there is going to go home and call your mother. Yeah. You know, and here in L.A., you rob a bank, you know, if you don't get caught in one of those freeway chases, you're home free, you're just a face in the soup Yeah, you know, the big city. And so that really is a big deal. And so what I say is that we both need to, um, if you are a costly punisher like me, you're not one of the sort of more timid people, we need to say, hey, our attention, Mr. Cell Phone Shouter, doesn't belong to you when you're in Starbucks and the guy's taking over the entire shared space. 
and we need to go after the banks and these other people. If you're like me, you can do the sort of, sort of more gonzo thing, but if you aren't, just remember that our society is too big for our brains, and the thing you can do is to make an effort to treat strangers like neighbors. Do these small things for people like if you're in a cafe and you've read the paper and someone walks in, they're looking around, they're looking for the paper. Say, excuse me, sir, would you like the newspaper? So you've noticed a stranger, thought about his problem, solved his problem, took you like two seconds, two calories, but that guy's going to be less likely to give somebody the finger in traffic afterwards. Right, like paying it forward. Yes, spread the nice <laughs> instead of the mean. I'll tell you, though, you know what, as I was reading your book, I was thinking a little bit about another book I read by Dan Solov called The Future of Reputation and the Internet. And he starts out with this story how this woman in Japan is um, is on a subway and she lets her dog poop there. And, you know, which is very rude, obviously. And people are going, you know, pick it up. And she's ignoring him. But somebody actually videotaped it. And then it went on like YouTube and she became so ostracized and so hated that it, it almost was like the fact that you live in a small society. She wasn't going to get away with it. And it really, what you do and what is said on the Internet can totally traumatize and ruin your life and follow you forever. So in a way, we've gotten so big, but we have this instant kind of, you know, repercussions of it that you know, somebody can videotape you or somebody can take your blog or somebody can take what you've written and forward it. So it's it's kind of backfiring on us as well. well. I actually advocate that. This is part of what I say, that to recreate the constraints of the hunter-gatherer village size, that we use the Internet to shame people. Now, if you're, you know, being shamed because you have a big nose, I think that's awful. If, however, you are like one of the people I put in my book, a guy who menaced me in my tiny toy car. You know, I drive sort of a, you know, a baby car. I have a Honda inside. It's 1,900 pounds. He was driving very unsafely, menacing me, and ran a red light. Yes. I took a picture of him in the middle of the intersection running the red light from a stop position right. um, and put that in my book and on my blog, and I think that's good. Yes. Because even though that guy is not going to be a good guy, he's not going to you know, change one day, oh, I woke up, I think I'm going to be a nice person and, not, and obey traffic laws and not endanger people. But... If he knows that happened or if other people who are jerks see that, they're going to say, you know, yes, I really want to run that red light, but there are people out there with video cameras. Right. And it's more like what you talk about in that, you you know, if you're not going to have a conscience, that's going to help you to have a conscience because at least it's going to be deterrent behavior. Right. Th- there is, I mean, guess, I guess there's this balance that you have to worry about that someone who puts up something that isn't true about you, and that wouldn't be someone like you, but someone who puts up something about a teacher, for example, and tries to humiliate the teacher. And that has happened you know, where they put up false things and they try and humiliate or they try and embarrass or something. That's the problem. You've got the the good embarrassment where someone has to learn to have a decent conscience and to act right. And then you've got the bad embarrassment where it isn't really them, but everybody believes it. And then they become the object of hatred. Right. I write about this a lot in my book. I see rude people. Um, There's a guy who was on a dating website. There's a dating website to criticize your dates. They said all this stuff about him. He had an STD and all this stuff. There was a Lies. Suicide. Yeah. And actually, just yesterday, I got a letter from a woman, an email, who is a professor and had these people saying these awful things about her on RateMyProfessor.com. Yes. And now she has no recourse other than to post some sort of, you know, rebuttal about it. But once it's out there, it's out there. 
and what I do, because I'm just costly punisher, when people did this to me on my site, I had an attack on my website. With yes, I saw. Stuff. I went after the guy, write about this in my book. The guy, he posted on my website. Well, first of all, let me just explain. Some people didn't like what I said. They disagree with me. And I'm a total First Amendmenter. If you want to open a site, amyelcon is an idiot.com, and take pictures from my site and parody me, that's fine. The moment you send over hundreds of people to disrupt my speech on my site, ruin my comment section, that's when I go after you. And the guy who did this, he posted, they were posting, are you a tranny? Do you have, you know, whatever, that sort of horrible stuff that people do to women um, on my site. He, at 2 in the morning, and I tracked him down. He was at the NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Oh, he was no. supposed to be minding that satellites don't move right. the sky. <laughs> on the taxpayer dime, he's using the government computer to ask, are you a tranny? It took me about, I don't know, 40 minutes. Tracked him down, called him about 3 in the morning. Hi, is so-and-so there? You know, and he was so surprised. He said, you can't call me here. This is the government. <laughs> you know, I love it. And I posted his name and all this stuff because I think... If you don't behave well, you should behave in a way that if your mom sees it or it's on the front page of the paper, that that's going to be okay. And if you're not behaving that way and we expose it, well, you know, that's what you get for being a flagrantly rude jerk. Yes, yes. You know, and and this is why I'm so scared to to blog. I know you blog and you have a great blog, but I'm scared to blog. I'm scared to join like these LinkedIn, because I see some of the, I get these calls from people who are frantic, who have some of the problems that you talk about in your book. And it just puts me off from even wanting to enter. I mean, not that I don't use the net because you know, I write you emails and I do that. But, but I am worried about all these social networking sites. And I am worried about these things because so much of it can be blown out of proportion. On one hand, you talk about, yes, you know, you can you can help people to have conscience, but on the other hand, it can be very, very, uh, you know, insidious. Yeah. Well, what kind of stuff are you talking about to that end? Like, is it, is it attacks on looks or stuff like that? I, I'm talking about, you know, saying things about people that totally isn't true. Yeah, Yeah, that kind of stuff that totally isn't true. Like you're talking about in the dating site, and I haven't had a problem yet, but I do know of another lawyer. There's there's also rating lawyers, and I'm sure there's ratingdoctors.com too. But there are rating lawyers, and and that's kind of frightful too because if you're mad if your lawyer didn't win, and I haven't been on there, but I've heard from a couple lawyers that they they really were upset because there were things that were put on there that totally weren't true, and then they have to sue them for defamation or give them an opportunity to take it down. lawyer you at least have the power to sue people but you know i've had this happen too where a number of times because i'm an advice columnist and people don't always agree with what i say they distort who you are what you say this is what happened with the people who went after me you know and um it's very upsetting it's very upsetting and you know for an ordinary person it's much more upsetting than it is to me i'm an advice columnist i get nasty letters all the time yeah all in a day's work if you're joe citizen Right. Someone saying stuff about you, that can be devastating to the point where, like, this little girl, poor girl, killed herself. Exactly. And, you know, I met her mother. I met her mother, and um, it it was pretty devastating because this girl had gone online. She thought that she had fallen in love with this kid who really didn't exist. It was was one of her ex-friend's mothers. And and I actually saw she was at one of these privacy conferences, and she was trying to get some help for for from quite a few of us and um yeah it was it was pretty devastating and a, a high school kid someone or young 
people, like the young people here at the university, they don't always know that life is going to be different. They feel that this is they're shamed, shamed about something that didn't happen to them, or they're devastated, and they do. They commit suicide. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't really know the answer because I'm, I'm with you on First Amendment rights, but I think it all gets back to that issue of rudeness, too. Oh, yeah. And so, actually, I would say, to me, the answer at root of manners is empathy. And um, it goes back to how children are raised, actually, which is a whole thing in my book. I see rude people, yes. the underparented child, and I really blame the parents. My neighbors have children. I am not a kid person. I love their children. Sometimes they wake me up. You know, the boys at this age is nine where they're always pounding. They're making noise on pavement all the time. That's all they do at nine all day. That's fun. (laughs) All that matters to me, even if they wake me up, I hear their parents say, Amy might be sleeping, please play in our yard, that they care. And actually, in these kids, it's very interesting because the parents are kind and caring people with standards. Um, I came out, it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I had been sick. You can probably tell I sound like, a bit like Brenda Vaccaro in a Ben show. <laughs> yeah, kind of sexy. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. Um, and um, I was wearing a sleep mask. The little boy started, he was playing with his ball against the wall. I can't ask him to not play in his yard at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, sick or not. Right. I was going to sleep with the earplugs in my living room. He takes one look at me, he says, were you sleeping? I must have looked terrible. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, well, yeah. And he said, you know, I'm going to go play inside. Oh, my God, this this child is so well-raised, you know, and it's that sort of thing. Babies might cry somewhere. Okay, if you're a parent and you're trying to quiet your child down, you know, we feel bad for you and we hope he, you know, puts a cork in it soon. If you're those parents, you see them in L.A., those narcissistic go-right-ahead mommying ladies who are talking to each other and their child is squalling at the top of his little lungs, then I hate you and I'm going to do something. (laughs) Exactly. We are speaking with Amy Elkin, who writes an award-winning nationally syndicated advice column. You can see her blog at advicegoddess.com. And she is the author of a new book that is just fun to read called I See Rude People, One Woman's Battle to Beat Manners into Polite Impolite society. And um, this is a McGraw-Hill book, so that's kind of fun. You could probably get it anywhere. You know, I want you to tell the story about, you know, about law enforcement, because I know you've had problems with law enforcement, and just kind of like give us a a couple examples of what really pushed you, like the theft of your pink car. Right. Now, first of all, I have to say, my my, one of my closest friends, Sergeant Heather, is a cop. So I'm not anti-law and order. I'm quite pro-law and order. But what I found out was that we in our society have very unrealistic expectations of what the police are going to do for us. If you get your identity stolen, your identity is going to stay stolen unless you go to Mary Frank. <laughs> the police, they are swarmed with cases. They're not going to do anything, even in a case like mine, where I'm sort of an amateur detective. I had solved cases before I had all this evidence I was pulling together. Don't care. doesn't matter. You know? And so what I learned when my pink rambler was stolen just so sad. I walked out in this car that would have been this stupid money pit of a purchase and very cute. Instead of my car there, I just like it. There's a spot of oil. And I ended up tracking my car thief all over Los Angeles for about two and a half months. No thanks to the LAPD. I got my car back myself and I had Marlon Brando, who was a friend, and my mother call and yell at the car thief. Yeah. I didn't know, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's crazy. And, you know, that's the sad thing about it. Even with all the different agencies now, you know, they, and 
individually, and I'm a sheriff reserve here in Orange County, and I also, I love the sheriffs here, and I've been so pleased to see how they've been helpful to people and really tried to help victims of identity theft. But on the whole, you know, they're so overwhelmed when you were talking about it. You know, I mean, they get hundreds of these cases, and they just can't devote to one identity theft victim or one victim. They're going to have to go to the big issues, the rapes, the the burglaries, the robberies, right. the, the murders. Yeah. And it's just, it is unfortunate. Yeah. And I'm glad you put it that way because I'm one of those people like, I get, wave thank you to the firemen and say thank you to the police in my neighborhood. These people lay their lives on the line for the rest of us. I'm so grateful for that. But we just can't expect them like for these cases that aren't where there isn't blood on the floor, yeah, to be able to pursue them all. They don't have, look at our tax problems now. We don't have the money or the resources. Exactly. And so you need to proactively protect yourself. You know, as you say, and as I have learned and said in my book, one of the things that's very important to do if you're not buying and flipping houses, and who is in this economy, um, to put a security freeze on your credit, which I did in 2005, which is the only reason that my nightmare of identity theft wasn't an enormous nightmare. Yes. And, you know, and I always tell people, Google your state and security freeze and all this stuff is there. And then the, 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 you can only get credit if you lift the freeze with a pin. And so the ladies who steal your identity, like happened to me, when they go to Target and Walmart and Kmart and Sears and try to get instant credit in your name, you get these horrifying letters saying, Dear Miss Elkhan, we're sorry we couldn't let you buy that, you know, $5,000 widescreen TV. <laughs> Did you forget you had a credit freeze, you know, and oh my, that's, that's enough to stop you dead in your tracks for a week. Exactly. And for those of you who aren't really familiar with the security freeze, we have talked about it on our show, but there is a difference between a security alert or a fraud alert and a security freeze. If you think that your information has been stolen, you can call the credit bureaus and for free put a fraud alert on your credit report. It'll last for 90 days. And if you make a police report and go further with it, you can ask for a seven-year fraud alert. And that fraud alert says, don't issue credit without calling me first at this number. Unfortunately, if you have a fraud alert on your credit report up until now, and even as the law stands now, if a company issues credit to a fraudster and they didn't call you, they can't be sued. So what Amy is talking about is is a little bit stronger, and I had actually suggested this in, when I testified back in 2002, and that's called a security freeze where you write to the credit bureaus or you call them now. They've actually changed that. You can call them, and you can put a security freeze on your credit reports, which basically locks up your credit to any new potential creditors and what it does is you you have to have a PIN, like Amy says, or, or like a, a password, a PIN number, to release the credit report. Now, if you're not a victim and you want to put a freeze, it's going to cost you $10. But if you've been a victim or you are a victim, it's for free to put the security alert on all three credit bureaus. And then no new credit can be issued because they won't give the credit report to Walmart or they won't give it to Macy's. They just won't even release it so that no credit can be issued. So that's what she's talking about. And that's what she did to kind of protect herself from that financial identity theft. I did that too. In 2005, uh, my friend Kathy Seip, who unfortunately died and who my book I See Rude People is dedicated to, was just one of those really smart people financially. She told me about that and I thought, Kathy's smart, and that sounds like a good idea, and I did it. And I actually have said, you know, I write it in the book, 
That is the best $30 for all three credit bureaus. So best yes. $30 I've ever spent in my life. Yes. It's freezing my credit. There's nothing else I've ever bought that was more value for the money. And actually, they should have let you do it for free because victims, not only in California, but victims anywhere in the country can get a free freeze to, to freeze or, or thaw out. So you shouldn't have even had to oh, pay no, the 30 before it. I did this proactively. So but this I is, had done this before the identity theft. Oh, but she still got it even when, how did she get your credit then when she, well, oh, because it, it doesn't deal with banks. It right, only deals right. with, and we should talk about that a little bit for people who want to put a freeze to think that they're going to avoid identity theft. That's not the case. It's going no. to avoid new credit cards and credit right. lines and loans, but it's not going to stop someone from stealing money out of your bank or creating checking accounts. Any kind of bank fraud is is not going to do anything about right, that. Right, because that's how I met you, yes. because they did that to me Yes, in a flagrant way. And as somebody... I'm not like other people. I'm very, very careful about things. As I said, I'm sort of an amateur Nancy Drew. So <laughs> I don't use a debit card. Didn't use a debit card. Thank God. I only write checks to my assistant and my landlord and then, you know, like the IRS. Right. Um, you know, other than that, and my auto insurer, you know, that's it. Because I know anyone you write a check to has your checking account number. Yes, maybe and your address and phone number, and maybe some people even put their birth date on it. But you know, just and and this is a really important thing you're bringing up, Amy. For those of you who are listening, using a check is very, very dangerous. And Amy is right. And the reason why is because that checking account number and the routing number can be just copied and put on new checks from Office Max or Office Depot, and they don't. The bank doesn't even look at whose name is on the check. They only read that bottom, those bottom figures. Okay, they right. they run it through a reader. So, I mean, it could be Amy Alkins' checking account, but it says Susie Star, right. and it doesn't matter. And it could be an American, uh, I mean, it could be Bank of America account, but it basically says Citibank or Chase, and it doesn't matter because they don't look right. at it. And and now the money can be siphoned out of your account, and I hear that all the time. So that's so, the kind of things that Amy's talking about. Horrible. And actually, I go so far. I'm from Michigan. I'm frugal. I buy clothes on eBay. I spend, I think it's like four ninety five extra to pay my Department of Water and Power bill in Los Angeles because I will not send a check through the mail. Yes. I send one to my landlord, but I have to do that to her. She doesn't like people to show up at her house. But that's about it. You know, in the IRS, because, you know, anybody can open mail. Yes. Can intercept it. You know, just not safe. So I really urge people to consider this stuff. And also to consider online banking. If you're very, very careful, online banking is much more safe than sending checks just because of what Amy was just talking about. If you set up online banking and you've, you know, really protected your computer and you've got hard wall, hardwire firewalls and you've got you know, antivirus and anti-spyware and you're real careful with your machine and you use it at home, you can do your online banking where you can pay from your account automatically to pay off your bills. And and that's what I do. And I check my online banking two, three times a week to make sure that there's nothing going on there so that I would have early intervention if there was. Yeah. So that's really the safest way so, for paying all your bills. Yeah, And the other thing, too, is that you just reminded me of something about Wi-Fi. You know, people use this public Wi-Fi, and there are packet sniffers. Yes. You can, if, if you're one of those sort of computer hacker types, even not a very huge and smart one, you can read what everybody's looking at on their computers in a Starbucks. Yes. And so I don't use public Wi-Fi, 
it, it costs me money, but I have a mobile broadband modem that I plug in. It's slower, but you know what? It's There's, safer. Yeah, the time and agony of identity theft, the, 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 your life that gets eaten. Yes, you know, and you've it, experienced it. <laughs> oh, it's so horrible. Exactly. So, so horrible. We are speaking with Amy Elkin, who is an award-winning national syndicated advice columnist. She writes advice uh, goddess.com. You can re- read her stuff in the newspaper as well as on her blog. And she lives in Los Angeles. She has, I used to enjoy reading all the time at the uh, Orange County Register. I'm still in there, but I'm online. Oh, okay, because I haven't seen it in the regular paper. Oh, no, it's ocregister.com. They took a bunch of columnists online because of sort of the constraints of the newspaper business lately, but yeah. it's still there and popular. And if you go on in the lifestyle section, I'm the top of all the columnists, which is why it's great to be named. Oh, good, because I was wondering what happened to that. No, I will do that. Oh, yeah, so ocregister.com, I'm there, Amy Elkon. Amy, I'm just wondering now if I get one of those Kindles, Kindles. Yeah. I wonder if I get my newspaper that way. Will I see it then sure. there? Okay. Because yeah. I was thinking of getting that. I love to read the. I like a newspaper in my. I like to have something in my hand so I can drink my coffee and not have to sit at my computer. Oh, I, I know. And so that's why I was thinking. Well, I know a couple of my friends have gotten Kindles and I haven't done it yet. But I'm yeah. thinking, I like to read the. I like something in my hand. I like to sit you know, in my little comfy chair and read the newspaper. And I don't want to sit at a computer, so that's why I was almost thinking yeah. of doing it. But if I can read your article, your uh, your blog there and your your column there, that would be great. Oh, yeah, the Kindle. The, yeah, I, I actually agree with you. And it's funny that you say that, to have something in your hand. You know, and I, I didn't think of online stuff, but with the Kindle, yeah, it is, it is like that, where you have a little... You know, you don't have to be tied and at your desk, which I don't like. Yeah, exactly. We are speaking with Amy Elkin, and I want to just mention her new book, which is so fun, and I love the cover. This is hysterical. She's standing there all gorgeous with her long red hair, and she's holding a guy upside down who was impolite, obviously, and she says, I see rude people. One woman's battle to beat some manners into impolite society, which is so funny. And I have to say, there's a woman on the bottom because... I was very careful to not just have it look like only men right. are rude or only women are rude because people are rude and an increasing number of them these days. Yes, and there's a little woman there right in her other hand. and, she's on and, the you're, and yeah, yeah. She, she's in one hand and the other one is in the other. <laughs> right. So, you know, when you're talking about, now obviously you're assertive, you. You are a columnist, you are a journalist, which is thank God you're there because you can you can voice for so many of us that don't have that opportunity to do that. And I think that's great. Thank you. But why are so many people letting themselves be victimized by rude people? Well, what do you think it, it even means to be a victim? Well, actually, you know, I talked before about how I found through this anthropology research that it seems we live in societies too big for our brains. So we live in these modern times with these cave-age brains, and we evolved in these tribal societies where there wouldn't have been strangers. So we sort of don't have the mechanisms to deal with badly behaving people we don't know. And we have in America all these ideas about freedom and everything. People don't really understand with freedom comes responsibility, you know, that, that you need to actually sort of curb your behavior when you're around other people, that it's shared space that our attention doesn't belong to you. You don't get to seize all the available airspace in a cafe or a restaurant. Right. And this is some of the stuff, since we don't have these sort of evolved brains for this, we need to sort of recognize that and to say, to literally say, hey, you, our attention doesn't belong to you, but with the caveat that 
not everybody should do that. Like you said, I'm an advice columnist. I'm in the human nature business. I have a pretty good sense of who's going to, you know, attack me or not, and I'm a fast runner. And so not everybody can do this, but what, what people can do is support the sort of meddling big mouth like me, you know, by rolling your eyes if you're upset at somebody being rude or saying, like, oh, come on, or something, or just giving us the thumbs up because, you know, even though I am this sort of assertive and energetic girl, it's hard. You don't always want to go speak to another adult and say, you know, in essence, could you please use your inside voice? I know, I know. And you were talking before, you know, it could be dangerous. I mean, I have read articles in the paper where somebody is trying to help somebody else who's who's being berated, and then they get in the middle and they get beat up. So you never know when someone's going to be volatile. I mean, because we don't know people, we have to be careful about how we are going to approach things. I mean, if someone is literally bothering you or hurtful to you, it's a good idea to make some, uh, you know, use all of your own politeness to say, please, you know, I'm offended by this, or I, I would hope that you wouldn't act like this, or I'm not going to come back to the store, or may I speak to the manager, or something. You can do something like that. But even though we want to intervene and be a good Samaritan, sometimes we have to be really careful and call the police rather than do it ourselves. Right. And I have to say, I don't immediately get on my broom. If someone's loud at Starbucks, there's that chance. We're all human and fallible. I didn't write this book because I'm perfect and perfectly polite. Right. You know, maybe that person just didn't realize they were talking so loudly. So I say, would you mind keeping it down? And the people I go after aren't the people that say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, or why didn't I take this outside? But the people who are flagrantly sort of screw you rude and are just like, look, I don't care. You know, and this woman, oh, it's so great. I, I was at the Starbucks I like to go to, and um, – shouting on her phone, and so I asked her if she'd mind keeping it down. She got all nasty with me, and then when I was saying something back to her, she wanted to dismiss me. She said, now I need my privacy, and I thought, well, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't shout your business in a Starbucks then. And you know, you're absolutely right. I was I was standing in line for the movie theater, and this guy behind me was on the phone, and he's giving his credit card number. No. <laughs> Oh. And I, I couldn't believe it. He's giving his credit card number, and he's also giving the three-digit code on the back. No. And I turned around, and I, after he got off the phone, I said, you know, I just want to tell you something. I heard exactly what you said, and I don't know how many other people did. And it's very simple for someone to just write down what you said, and we could steal your identity or get, you know, use your credit card. You might want to think about being really quiet when you're on the cell phone and not even using your cell phone for any kind of financial transactions because it's not really that private. Right. And he he just looked at me and I said, "Um, here's my, and then I gave him my my card. I said, I "I have to tell you, I am, you know, this is my expertise. So he kind of looked at me and then he said, well, thank you. You know, Uh I mean, what else is he going to say? He stood behind me and we didn't want to get into a fight because we wanted to get into the movie theater. But, but yeah, I mean, sometimes I just tell people, you know, what are you thinking? You know, and it's, it's obviously rude and it's, uh, it's obviously dangerous for people to do that. Why should I know everybody's fights or their, or what's, you know, going on in their family or the family of the person who they're talking to? I know. Also, these people, there's this guy, I actually posted his, a video of him on my site. I'm at the Starbucks, the same one I like, and he's shouting all his business conversations into his phone with all the stress and everything. And like, I just want, I brought a book and they played music <laughs> there. I just wanted to go have a relaxing time. 
you know, and I told him she's so rude. And then I found um, on the Internet, because he had, see, these people are not smart about their privacy. He, he, he was just a jerk. And then he had his business card with huge type of his name and business. So I looked him up, and I found a video of him saying, you know, we're all about the community. It's like, oh, wait, aren't I the community? Because this community wasn't being too well served by you, dude. Exactly. I think people are oblivious. I, You know, in this day and age, when people are on their cell phone, they're, they think it's just like talking to somebody else next to them. You know, well, they, they don't realize that. It's not. And actually, when you say you think people are oblivious, some people are a bit, but I don't understand. We all are around people on cell phones, annoying people who shout, and so people have to recognize this is not like all of a sudden someone landed from the moon. Oh, what's this device? You know, and, exactly. and um, I, you are right about one thing, which is I wrote about this in my book. I see rude people um, about people not realizing that a one-sided conversation is much more disruptive than a two-sided conversation. And that has to do with our brains. I looked at all this research, and it seems that our brains make us try to fill in the missing side which is very annoying, whether or not you want to do it. So when people say, oh, what's the difference, whether I'm talking to my Aunt Millie in Idaho or the person across from me, there is a difference. Even if you talk softly, it's very annoying, which is why my phone is always on vibrate, and no matter what the conversation I need to have, if I'm going to have a phone conversation, I have it outside. Exactly. We are speaking with Amy Elkin, who is the author of I See Rude People, One Woman's Battle to Beat Some Manners into Polite Society. And you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. And I'm the host of Privacy Piracy. And we're getting back to Amy. Amy, I got such a kick out of this. And, and I thought this was the first, was going to be the, the name of your book at first. Revengerella. I love that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and, and, and that's what you call yourself. Right. And, and I think that wasn't that going to be the original name of the book or something, Revengerella? Kathy, my late friend Kathy Sipe actually named me Revengerella. She is very supportive because, you know, it's hard to do this stuff. It is. You know? And so she actually turned it into a sort of positive thing, whereas other people are like, Instead of Cinderella, you're Revengerella. Pardon? <laughs> I said instead of Cinderella, you're Veren- Revengerella. Right. <laughs> and it sounds so much better. It's so much more positive than you, you meddling scold. Right. You know, which is, in essence, sort of what I am, but I'm more gonzo than that. And, um, you know, I, I guess that the, the feeling was that people, um, oh, they'll think you're just mean or something like that. But I, I think that people have more humor, you know, sense of a humor than than sort of um, they're given credit for by big, big businesses that publish things. But Right, and it's a good idea to make a, to coin your own words. I think it's fun. Yeah, I, gotta, I, I love that. I do that all the time. And actually, in, in terms of revenge, it's not so much revenge as avenge. Yes. But avengerella sounds not that, not that funny. Yeah, so. yeah, no, no. But it is. It's avenging, and it's somebody has to do it. I mean, we have to change the way that we are. Tell my audience about the whole saga with Bank of America, because Bank of America is nationwide and people can listen to us nationwide. I think they need to hear what you went through with Bank of America. So horrible. I first moved to California from New York and I needed a bank, you know, and I'm American. America's big and it just sounds so important. Bank of America. And it looks good and important, like they would have good security. To my surprise, I found that they actually don't. On seven separate occasions, um, women stole a total of $12,000 out of my Bank of America account with only a fake driver's license with the wrong expiration date. No bank card was demanded seven times. No PIN was demanded seven separate times. No signature was checked 
seven separate times. And, Mari, you, you're so helpful to me. I write about Mari in this chapter, and I see rude people in my new book, about you know, how you told me that it was within my rights to have what I was demanding from the bank, which was the videotape of the thieves who took my money because I wanted to go after those thieves. Yes, and help law enforcement to do it. Right, because I had found, I found my stolen car myself. I tracked down a hit-and-run driver. I found a friend's birth parents. Again, I'm sort of like hobbyist Nancy Drew. I have this ability. And I made that clear to the bank, and I said, look, you know, I, maybe you have legal concerns, but I didn't go kill my car. See, for the hit-and-run driver, I had them prosecuted. I went to the district attorney's office. You know, I mean, I'm not a criminal. I'm a libertarian trying to convince them, look, maybe you're worried about this. Don't be worried. But what I realized, my suspicion is that the bank didn't turn over this, this material because... A dirty insider. Yeah. ...the extent of their security, which security, quote-unquote. And not only that, it was probably a dirty insider. Right. Oh, yes. And I, I wrote about, I quoted you talking about that in my book. Yep. about the dirty insiders. Right. You know, and, and that people sell, you know, for, what is it, for 50 cents, they sell your, your identity from within the bank. Yes, and the, the, the problem is, is that we know that about 60 to 70% of identity theft, at least the ones that are prosecuted, happen in some businesses, uh, businesses that have access to your sensitive information. Right. And so, now I have to say, I have no proof that this definitely was sold through my bank. I can't say that. But I suspected, and again, I investigated. Um, Bank of America, because I'm so careful, don't use checks, don't use a debit card. I'm very, very careful with my personal financial information of my, um, the franchise tax board, the IRS, where you pay quarterly taxes, you know, my auto insurer, and the bank. These are the only places that had some of my information. Bank of America, you know, like your driver's license number, your checking account number, they have everything. They have everything, but, yeah. But the bank was the only place that had all of this information. Yes. The Franchise Tax Board doesn't have my driver's license number. Right. You know, AAA doesn't have my bank account number stored. See, that was bad that I just said the name of my auto insurer. Yeah. I'm on your privacy, privacy. <laughs> well, thing. that's okay, yeah, because yeah. no one, you didn't say your, your account number. Right, so. no, I didn't. <laughs> but I don't like to give out, I typically don't give out any information. I don't even, you know how people shred their old papers or private papers? Yes. I don't. I, start, I have like 15 years of my taxes and everything locked up, double locked behind you know, all these different locked doors. I mean, because I'm so careful. And so it's my suspicion that this happened, because nobody else had all this information, that it did happen to B of A, but I can't prove it. Yes. And they were so appalling to me. You know, all I wanted, I said, listen, I, I, catch, I catch thieves and evildoers. I'm squeaking now. I'm so upset. Um, that um, I want to go after this woman. It was... I'm a skinny white girl with red hair. This is an enormous black woman in her 40s with missing front teeth. Right. So the uh, so any kind of driver's license would look so different with her picture versus yours. Right. And so what I wanted to do, because the last place she took my money was in Auburn, California, where they have 84 black people. I looked at the demographics up there. <laughs> surely the police, this woman didn't just steal my identity. She's a criminal. She surely has other people's. I wanted to go up there, talk to cops, missing teeth in her 40s. I mean, how many people could this describe? Right. And how many more people would she do this to? Right. And that was my concern. I said, look, I have a credit freeze. I am protected in ways other people can't. She's doing this to other people. I want to catch her and stop this. And, Mari, you told me these stories about how people have, you know, their lives forever ruined by somebody getting their 
all this information, social security number, driver's license right. number. You know, and I wanted to get my license out of her little thievish hands. Yes, and, and your bank, social security number, right. Right, and the bank, you know, you told me I was entitled to that tape. You showed me the yes. law. I bought your books, which are wonderful, and saw that information. Stonewalled me, wouldn't give it to me, and then... And, and remember what they told you. They said, you, we gave you your money back, so why do you care? You remember that? Yeah, and I told them why I cared, you know, and it was so horrible. And then the best thing was, I'm the victim here. I lost so much of my time. You can probably hear I'm a little high-strung, but I sleep well normally. I was waking up in the middle of the night every night, so upset, worried that someone was taking out a utility account in my name, that I would end up in jail like that client right. told me about, right. who, who didn't do anything wrong, but someone stole his identity and committed crimes. I mean, it's horrifying. The bank then fired me as a customer days before my book was due at the publisher for complaining that they failed their fiduciary duty to me, which they for sure did. Yes. And actually, that's considered discrimination. And, and if we wanted to, we could have said, you can't do that. But at that point, you were ready to move to a different bank anyway. Right. But, but you know, when, there are times that when you try and settle with a, comp, with a uh, bank, they'll try and say, well, you can no longer do business. That's part of the agreement. But in reality, that that is a violation of, of the Fair Credit Reporting Act because and the uh, other other federal law as well, because they're not supposed to discriminate against you for actually invoking your rights. To free speech. Yes. For example, well, it's not very- even just free speech. It's the fact that you're invoking your rights. You wanted your money to be put back after it was stolen. Right. And it was their fault. And right. for, for actually invoking your rights, they are not supposed to discriminate against you and and, and tell you that you can't have business with them. But, of course, right. at that point, you didn't want to have business well, with them. Well, my other issue was this. That um, their spokes lady, they have the, they give you the impression that they're a big bank, that they do things in a businesslike way, and they have a spokes lady, Betty Reese. I call her their spokes enabler because I find what they do so awful. She would go on, go in media saying that they have multiple levels of security. Well, and I, my joke is, what did they ask that my thief if she wanted my money in tens, twenties, or hundreds? <laughs> I mean, because I saw none of that. And what happened was. Because the bank foiled me from investigating the woman who stole my money, I started investigating the bank, and people ran tests for me across the country. And what I found was, and actually a woman who works for Bank of America told me this, their computers are not connected. They're not. In fact, we have a friend who just moved to Arizona and wanted to get money out of his Bank of America account, even though they have Bank of America there. And they said, no, he couldn't because his was in a, a California account. Right. And it seems, from my investigation, what I found is that, you know, they bought all these branches, all these banks, and merged them together. Well, Nations Bank bought out, yeah, I mean, right. they bought out Nations Bank from, from North Carolina. Right, mm-hmm. and I talked to a computer analyst who did bank systems, and he told me it is extremely expensive to make banks be on one computer system. Well, okay, but that doesn't mean you get to not do it. You know, and so, but it seems to me, from my investigation, what Bank of America did is say, you know, that's expensive. It's maybe cheaper for us to let people take the hit in identity theft than, than sort of making the banks computerized like a bank lawyer told me they did. She works at one of the... It's, it just banks. costs less money. If they yeah, have right. to give you back your money, they want to give you back your money and let it be. Right. So to pay me my $12,000 rather than spending... Right. The time to actually stop this person right. from doing it again. Or, again, as we said before, is 
if they investigate too much, they find out that it was an inside job, somebody, and they may have done that. They may have investigated, but not want to tell you because then they would be liable if they had one of their own um, tellers or one of their own inside people would do it. They would be liable for, for the actions of the people that work for them. It's so, so horrible because basically what I found with Bank of America from these tests that I ran, or one of them I had my boyfriend go to a bank in Detroit, they didn't even, not only did they not look at his PIN, bank card, or signature, they, he held his driver's license up. They didn't even look at it. He signed differently than he signed. I mean, it's incredible. This is a teller window, not at ATMs. It seems that at many banks at Bank of America, maybe even in the same town if they were bought from different banks initially, they cannot see more than how much money you have. And so what that means is their security in many of these banks is basically that they just hope it's you. Yeah, and you and are in such danger of having your whole life turned upside down because of that. And it's, it's criminal to me that that happens. And, and, and you know, why you're saying this, I'm, I want to just say an admonition to my whole audience here that this is so why it's so important to do online banking and check at least two to three times a week yourself. And I even have alerts. I happen to have Bank of America, and it would be such a hassle to change because I have so many accounts there with my businesses. Right. But I check, and I have bank alerts. I set up alerts. So anytime there's any change at all in my account, yeah. they immediately send me an alert. And I look at those alerts, and if it looks fine, I don't have to go in and check. That's but if right. it doesn't, if there's something else, I do. So they, they're trying to do that. But I have to tell you, and as much as I... I know what you went through, and I agree with you 100%. I have to tell you, I hear the same stories about other big banks like Chase, like Wells Fargo, like Citibank. So I, I, anyone who has any of those banks, it's the same issue. Of course, Bank of America now taking over Nations Bank, they've got a little bit more of a problem than Wells Fargo, for example. Right. What I found, though, was... For example, um, I had my sister run a test for me at Wells Fargo in San Francisco. Yes. They, um, she went to a different branch than her branch. It was like a mile from her branch. And they refused to let her have money. She had her driver's license. Refused without her bank card and her pen. Right. And They're so better my, like that. My mm-hmm. feeling based on this investigation is that other banks will be occasionally negligent. A teller has a hangover. Somebody's lazy or not doing their right. job well. But that I, I think that Bank of America is much more likely to be systemically negligent in these cases where the computers aren't connected. Right. So I think that's I think you're right. I think that the fact that they don't know what's going on in another state, not only for what you went through, but even for my friend who just moved to Tucson from California. Yeah. He was just, he was trying to pay bills and he couldn't pay bills and he was just frantic about what is he going to do because he was always used to paying his bills on time. So it became a, a real problem. Yeah, it's terrible, terrible. And, you know, we were talking before you asked me about law enforcement as watchdogs and actually... The really horrible thing, too, I had another little revelation. There's a, a, a thing called the Comptroller of the Currency. Oh, it's yeah. supposed to be the bank watchdog. And so I got my money back. This wasn't like most people who write to the Comptroller and say, look, this bank has $3,000 of my life savings, and you have to help me. I wrote them, and I said, look, I don't need anything from you. I got my money back. But I'm a reporter, and I investigated this bank and found this horrible, like, massive amount of wrongdoing in terms of letting people think that their money is safe, advertising great security, and actually leaving people open to identity theft. Yes, and they are, they are for, for people who don't know the controller of the currency, the controller of the currency is supposed to be, like she said, the watchdog. They're the ones who are the regulators 
for these big banks. That's what she's talking about. So that was the right place to complain. Right. So well, it is if they actually do anything, but apparently they're they're you know filing their nails because for two years I sent them a twenty page fax because you have to fax and I mailed it too of all the points from my investigation, detailed stuff showing, look, this is what the bank does. They advertise multiple layers of security. They're just hoping it's you. And for two years, they've ignored me. And I called back, and I even talked to the guy who's the head press guy there and said, look, I'm a reporter, and all this stuff that I just said. And he's like, oh, well, maybe write to the comptroller. Yeah. And, and they just they haven't done anything. I wrote to the House Banking Committee, the Senate Finance Committee, Jerry Brown's office, Steve Cooley's office in L.A., who's the district attorney here, and I wrote to Cuomo. None of them, none of them cared. Nobody cares about your privacy except Mari and you. That's right. And you know, I'll tell you something. The whole issue that you're talking about, about the controller of the currency not doing anything to real, they're really in bed with the banks. That's the bottom line. Is they're there, although they are the regulators, they really schmooze with these guys. That's why. And and I just wanted to, I I just was going to say that's the reason why right now the, um, the administration has suggested a, a financial commission, a federal financial commission that would uh, take all these consumer complaints and deal with them because obviously the regulators are not doing that. See, I'm just not, I'm a libertarian and a fiscal conservative. I am just not optimistic about government doing things. I think, you know, the real help I got in this was frankly from you and from your books. You know, you're a private citizen in business. And you're the person who's telling me what I needed to do. The government, the security freeze thing is good. But, um, you know, as somebody who has, look, I'm a journalist, which you can sort of like, it, it sort of turns things that are steel into butter sometimes. Yes. You know, you don't, you're not supposed to abuse that. When I called this organization and said, look, I'm going to write a book about this. That's right. And they're like, oh, really? That's nice. Well, when 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 the more publicity that you get for what's going on, and it's systemic, the whole thing is systemic, and the whole and and I I'm not necessarily in agreement with another new commission. My my view was to actually give some teeth to the Federal Trade Commission and and reassess things about how any kind of consumer financial complaint should really be. You know, handled through the Federal Trade Commission, give them some more resources instead of setting up another commission to drain our taxes. Right, right. But um, but there is a need for consumers to get help, and I think thank God for people like you. I think the media and making this known is really what's going to make the changes because obviously the schmoozers aren't going to do anything about it. Well, I'll tell you something that's sort of sad, actually, about the media making this known. There's an investigative reporting unit called ProPublica, and they're this independently funded thing. They were going to do the story. The reporter reported on this by sitting in his chair on the East Coast trying to get tellers to talk to him to give it up, give up the information, endanger their jobs. Thought like, oh, well, I can't get any tellers to talk to me, so okay, never mind. So the story that they were doing was killed. You know, and then the problem is my book, I See Rude People, I mean, just by the title, you can tell it's a funny book. You know, you take it seriously. You can see this this chapter, okay, I can write it in an entertaining way. It's a very serious issue, and the business press needs to pick up on this. I wrote this as sort of a crusade, not the whole, well, the whole book, but this chapter also saying, look, you have to, you have to look at this. This bank needs to be brought up, you know, and to call, to be called on account 
for the way they're letting people be in jeopardy. Yes, and especially now with the economy the way it is and the insensitivity and people being thrown out of their houses, losing their jobs, the you know, the whole credit industry. I mean, this whole issue gets back to being nice. And and we don't have a lot of time, but I, you know, I kind of I really loved your last chapter. Okay. And it, it's so cute, you know, because you talk about the 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 solution or at least one of the solutions is just to be nice. Right. The chapter is called It's Nice to Be Nice. It's nice to be nice. And I actually showed based on the work of um positive psychologist Sonia Lubomirsky and some other people that um research shows that it's actually in our self-interest to be generous kind and pro-social, that it seems you will like yourself better, other people will like you better, and you'll basically live a happier, more fulfilled life. Yeah, and, you know, it also gets to that point of, you know, what goes around comes around, pay it forward, and then you talk about, you know, Mother Teresa or any of the, the people that we really admire. When you are nice, it comes back to you. Yes, and actually, one of the ways is to tell you, because people believe that and believe in karma, but I'm sort of a very science-based person but karma does play out. Um, there's a guy named Paul Ekman I write about. And when people, if you're a jerk and you say to somebody, oh, I'm going to do this for you, um, you might be smiling. But there are things called micro-expressions that Ekman discovered. Your face is making these little flashes of like, I'm a jerk. I don't mean it. And the other person can pick this up somewhere back in their psychology. And so people really can tell that you're a nice person or you're not. Yes, and actions, like they say, actions speak louder than words. And, and you know, it, it only takes one person to make a change. And right. thank God that you're out there doing this good oh, stuff. And you too. And I just love this book. It was so fun. I See Rude People, One Woman's Battle to Beat Some Manners into Impolite Society by Amy Elkin. you got to look at her wonderful advice column. you got to go to advice goddess and she is a little goddess here advicegoddess.com and we want to thank you so much it went so fast we didn't even have time to get through all that we wanted to do but i want to thank you so much for all the work that you do and bringing this all to you know the conscious level for people they got to start thinking about these and things you. you're a hero we need more like you oh well thank you very much honey and we will talk to you soon thank you bye. for joining us bye, bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. And join us at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests. Listen to the archived interviews. See what, you know, what's out there on our podcast. You can sign up for podcasts and we'd love to hear from you from with your emails. So just join us right there and thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.